0: This week on Hangar Talk, high-flying air show pilot Rob Holland makes a save.
1: And the E-aircraft makes its USA debut.
0: Also, AOPA honors actor and pilot Harrison Ford. Find out what's new and affordable
1: from the AEA Electronics Show.
0: All right, Dave, you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do some Hangar Talk, Ian.
1: From AOPA, your freedom to fly.
0: This is Hangar Talk. 1056 turn right heading 130 counter back final 1324. Turn right. Those your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tullis. Right. This
1: is Hangar Talk.
0: Welcome to Hanger Talk everybody. I'm Ian Twombly.
1: and I'm David Tulis.
0: And uh, David, we got a, a really good guest this week uh, for a great uh, promo for what's going on at AOPA and that's Krista Worthy talking about um, Travel Pilot.
1: Yeah, Travel Pilot is going to be a new uh, biweekly destination guide, a biweekly newsletter for us, and we're going to help people figure out where to fly, how to fly, and how to do it fun, and with uh, with all the cool places to go.
0: Awesome. All right, now, so most folks uh, who are used to listening to us know that your voice sounds a little bit different, so tell us where you are today.
1: So I'm coming at you today via Skype, Ian, from the Masters Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. And you know the local airports here are going to be super busy a little bit later in the week when uh, pilots and golfers fly in for the Masters Tournament.
0: Okay. Um, so are you on the leaderboard yet? Is that are you playing? Is that what's going on? No, no, I'm not on the leaderboard.
1: I'm looking <laughs> at a lot of pixels of uh, of golfers. Let's put it that way. I can't release much more information, but. Uh, <laughs> Let me just tell you, there's a lot of digital pixels floating in front of my head.
0: All right. All right. So we don't have to worry about you leaving to become a pro, I guess. Not yet. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh. All right. So let's get into the news. Um, Every once in a while, you hear these airshow pilots, you know, usually you think about the risk of them flying during the performances, but occasionally it's like during practice or when they're going somewhere, they'll have a problem. This has happened to Sean Tucker. And now, uh, back on March 25th, happened to Rob Holland. This is uh, quite the story.
1: Yeah, you know, he was uh, coming back from a from an event in Texas, and uh, Ian, have you ever been flying when all of a sudden your engine kind of quits running?
0: Thankfully, knock out. Wait,
1: knock
0: out wood. No, I have not.
1: Yeah, well, I've been in Rob's shoes before, but all of a sudden, uh, oil filled the screen, uh, you know, the canopy of his aircraft, and he really couldn't see where to go. So he he did the next best thing, man. He he knew where he was, and he navigated. Uh, to a nearby field. Do you remember what happened after that?
0: Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it turns out that it wasn't even clear. Um, So he's flying VFR, but it's not totally clear. So he's got some scud he's got to come down through. Right. And so, you know, not only do you have oil all over the windshield, but you got to, you know, descend through a little bit of clouds and just kind of hope that the airport is down there, what he found on his EFIS. Um, Really incredible. So he, amazingly, he made this landing. It was a, it was a closed airport. Uh, he made this emergency landing safely, uh-huh, but he had a tailwind, and uh, unfortunately the airplane didn't fare so well.
1: Well now he something I, I like I would like to say this uh, uh, Rob Holland and David Tuless both had very successful emergency landings in <laughs> and, 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 and Rob's case, he hit some kind of debris on this runway that was left over from uh, from the hurricane, from Hurricane Harvey last year, mm-hmm. and in Dave T's case, well, I contacted a pickup truck upon rollout. That's what I like to tell right. people. Yeah, but let me tell you what: when you're in emergent in an emergency situation, and you've got to go to your training, you've got to remember the basics, emergency basics. And and it sounded like he did exactly just that in Texas.
0: Yeah, it is amazing. He um turns out he was completely, We should have started with this completely unhurt. The airplane, it appears, is totaled. Uh, because of that debris on the runway, but uh, all in all, I think when you you know what they say, any landing you can walk away from. So I'm sure he's sad for the loss of the airplane, but um, hey, success in the end of the day, right?
1: That's true. That's true. And he was in the, the MXS uh, RH. Airplane and and you know what I'm just reading the story, going back and refreshing my memory, and you know he was going to Shreveport, Louisiana, and that's where I was going when I had my engine <laughs> out too. So my uh, So I that, don't know. I need to call Rob up and chat with him about that.
0: Yeah, that's some voodoo going on there. Maybe uh, maybe people should avoid that area. Yeah. All right. So I want to move on to some new tech. We've talked a, a few times recently about electric propulsion. I think you and I are both really excited about that, and uh, we continue to see strides in it. But Siemens, which uh, put an electric motor in an extra 330, has now debuted that in the United States.
1: So, yeah, Ian, the, this is the cool thing. Uh, Siemens is a real big firm. They have projects in all kinds of things, agriculture, food, healthcare, smartphone tech, and they are really uh, gung-ho for um, electric propulsion for aircraft. Mm-hmm. The key takeaway I'm just going to get to the end of the story first, is that they're, they're projecting that electric propulsion is going to be the standard by the year 2050. And yeah, that's, that's shocking.
0: Yeah, and that includes... No, pu- no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Nice. Uh, <laughs> unintentional pun there. Yeah, that uh, apparently includes airline traffic. I mean, I, I could see, like, in GA, that being the standard. But, yeah, they're saying airlines by 2030 are going to be, they that's think, amazing. hybrids. So. That's true
1: and so what uh, so the event here um, in the USA was in Chicago and it was called Innovation Day in Chicago and Siemens introduced to the USA their two-person airplane which is called the e aircraft hmm. and it has a smaller engine it says 60 pound 55 kilowatt 74 horsepower engine mm-hmm. electric uh, electric drive and so this was a cool thing so folks in the USA got a chance to see it now it did debut, Overseas in Germany what um, I think last year or the year before if I'm yeah. not mistaken.
0: Yeah, right, right Yeah, Siemens being a European company, you know, they've been doing a lot of the research over there But they have established a US presence which uh, which I think is pretty interesting a US office
1: That's true And in fact, they're testing the e-aircraft at a, a place in Texas So they're mm-hmm. really going gung-ho and, and moving forward with this and really in the next few years as we said at the, at the top of the segment is uh, we're going to start to see a lot of things come together on the battery power and electric propulsion power, um, you know, facet of general aviation.
0: Yeah. So I know they're testing three different power plants, three different sort of overall types. There's, you know, the pure battery electric, the uh, they call the serial hybrid electric and then the parallel hybrid electric. So um, still some work to be done, some research to be done on which of those is going to be most effective. But it's interesting because, you know, they, they look at it, a lot of them look at it from maybe a financial standpoint um, for airlines or uh, even bigger maybe in Europe as a noise signature standpoint because electric can be so much quieter. Um, I look at it, man, financially, and we've talked about this, I think, just in terms of replacing an avgas engine with an electric and the cost savings you have with that. And it's, it's substantial. I mean, phenomenal. So um, that that is really exciting when a technology like that can completely shift the cost structure. That's uh, that's really something to look forward to.
1: I think so too, and I think that um, like uh, we said earlier, for students in the local airfield, this might be a, a technology that that might come to fruition a lot sooner than we think, and it, and it save every it'll save everyone some money and and get folks in the air a little bit quicker, so that's all good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Great. All right, let's move on. Um, A couple weeks ago, uh, we had AOPA, the Great Fortune, to award the R.A. Bob Hoover Trophy. Uh, We've done this now two years in a row at the Washington National Airport in D.C. at the uh, historic terminal. Really cool setting. Last year's winner, uh, Sean Tucker. And um, Sean presented the award this year to uh, Harrison Ford.
1: Yeah, Ian, uh, I was lucky to be there and actually cover that for us. Uh, It was quite a treat. Harrison Ford. First of all, let, let me tell the folks listening to the podcast that he was a cool guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he was easygoing and he he uh, was very accommodating to a lot of people. And, and you know, he has a lot demanded of of his time. Yeah. But he is such a a, a big general aviation you know cheerleader if you, if you would. Yeah. That he when he accepted when he accepted the award from Sean Tucker who won it last year. And um, Harrison Ford immediately gave kudos to Sean Tucker for starting the Bob Hoover Academy in Salinas, California, yeah. and just went on and on about how cool that particular school is, uh, the after-school academy is for, for for young people who really need a focus in life. I just thought it was enlightening.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, he— um... I was really surprised as well because I, you know, I expected. Um, I mean, anybody really to come into an event like that. It's like, eh, maybe you kind of breeze in, breeze out, say hi to a few folks. He spent the entire evening there, um, talking to everybody who wanted, you know, to say hi to him and shaking hands, and just actually seemed to really enjoy himself and um, spoke incredibly passionately and emotionally about uh, Sean's program. Uh, and it was just a, a phenomenal night. I thought he was just a great winner and a, and a great guest.
1: I agree. And I think it was really uh, interesting that um, that Harrison Ford used that as a platform for the Hoover Academy. But really, that is exactly what the the winner probably should do. Is mm-hmm. Probably should defer that kind of recognition to someone else because that's what Hoover did. I never knew Bob Hoover, but I understand that he was quite the gentleman and always was just very humble.
0: Yeah. That's right. Um, so at the event, we also give away a couple of other awards. The uh, AOPA Air Safety Institute um, Safety Award, That this year went to uh, Dick Van Grunsven, uh, whose name you might recognize from the RV line of airplanes. That's right. Yeah, and a really cool story there. Um, as, as you know, uh, they just passed the 10,000th completed kit.
1: That's amazing. That's, that's, a whole, that's a whole Air Force that Vans
0: has. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so doing things like type-specific training, builder assist... You know, easy to fly characteristics. I mean, those are all things that went into the award, and all very well deserved.
1: Also, Mark Baker presented the uh, Sharpless Award to Alaska Airport Support Network volunteer Ron Dearborn, mm-hmm. and uh, Ron was out there at um, at the airport um, painting stripes on the runway, and this was uh, marking the runway so that folks could actually do real short field uh landings oh, cool. um, on, a, on on a very long airport and so they basically mimicked what it would be like on a on a short field approach and and the thing is that ron told me he said look david we got real good buy-in with the air traffic controllers and the people running the airport because everyone had to get in on this because because commercial aircraft land there they didn't want to com- confuse the other pilots landing at that airport
0: yeah
1: um so I thought that was really cool. It was a real community-oriented uh, thing that he did, and uh, it helps a lot of folks practice and, and get safer.
0: Yeah, yeah, very cool. And finally, we, um, just before we go, we also give away the Doc Hartranth Award, named for AOPA's first president. And um, we give these to folks uh, in Congress who show leadership on GA issues. And this year we had two winners, and that's uh, those representatives, Steve Russell from Oklahoma and Ralph um, Abraham from Louisiana.
1: And Russell uh, said he began to fly about a year and a half ago. So we've got yet another great pilot uh, in the making uh, over in Congress. So that's cool stuff.
0: Yeah, very cool. All right, let's go to uh, another event. Um, This one may be a little more digitally focused. Uh, This is the AEA show that happened in Las Vegas this year, the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association. And, um, you know, in the past years, it's funny because you wouldn't think necessarily – a show like this would have a lot of announcements because it's actually dealers who go to this. So avionics dealers and installers. But it's a really big show for new product announcements because, of course, the manufacturers want their dealers to help sell and pick up those. Um, so this year there was a ton of cool stuff that came out of it. Um, so tell me, tell me one or two that, uh, that caught your eye.
1: I'll tell you what, well, the first thing that caught my eye in was the company called U Avionics. They make a, um, a portable ADSB solution that works with an iPad or iPad mini. They came out with a real interesting way to get ADSB b um, into an, an aircraft. An ADSB out transmitter can also be installed in, in like a wingtip light hmm. or in or in the, the basically the uh, beacon light in an aircraft. And to me, that's a cool thing. And the whole deal is that it's going to be – what we call, you know, relatively inexpensive in, in aircraft dollar units. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's a key thing that so the prices come down on these, and just replacing a, a wingtip light or the beacon light with this type of device, um, I think is fantastic. For about uh, between like you know eight hundred bucks and up to about two grand for the for the whole ball of wax, I think it's pretty cool. That is very cool.
0: Yeah, I mean for me it was about autopilots. I love seeing continuing to see um new digital technology going to autopilots. They get they're getting a little cheaper, a little more widespread because it's like as you know for some as somebody who's um, bought and sold airplanes in the past, it's like on our end of the spectrum, you know, the kind of the spam cans, the old Mooneys and Cessnas and Pipers, um, autopilots are hard to find and uh, it's just such a great safety device. So there's a couple of announcements. Um, one is the Genesis Aero Systems these are the folks now who make S-Tech. they have a new next generation autopilot. It's called the uh, 3100. Uh-huh. And it's going to be all digital. Uh, so that's very cool. And aimed at the, you know, everything from the, let's call it the 182 up through kind of the twin Cessnas uh, and twin Pipers. Now these are top end certified autopilots. So you're talking, you know, the $20,000 range, but right. for anybody who's flown those, uh, you know, new digital autopilots, the, the technology and the capability is just so far beyond kind of the older stuff. So that was very cool. That is. Yeah. Also, um, Bendix King, believe it or not, came out with uh, what they say is a replacement for the old KFC line. The
1: Oh, wow. They're, those are in a lot of aircraft.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the KFC 230, they're calling this one, and it can be upgraded. So you can upgrade an old KFC uh, 150 and it uh, costs about 10 Ten thousand bucks to do that, which is uh, pretty neat.
1: That is neat. I tell you, another one that caught my eye were the folks at Aspen, because uh, they, yeah. you know, they were one of the first few people out the door with really cool replaceable uh, panels for aircraft. Mm-hmm. And so their Evolution E5 series um, is is something new that they're that they're uh, promoting now, and they have an autopilot that. Will well other autopilots will work with that, including the TrueTrack Vision. Mm. So that's kind of neat stuff.
0: That is very cool, and that TrueTrack, of course, being one of the ones that's uh, non would uh, or PMA certified, which gives makes it a little cheaper.
1: Yeah, so it opens the door to a lot of a lot of general aviation aircraft owners to upgrade their panels with some uh, technology that can make flying safer.
0: Yeah, very cool. All right, hey, so you've got a new autopilot. You got to go somewhere now, right? You've Got to use it. Uh huh. The question is, where are you going to go? Uh, where are you going to vacation? Where are you going to find that great airport, that great hundred dollar hamburger? And um, AOPA wants to help, and uh, we've got a new publication to do it.
1: That's right. We have a uh, Travel Pilot, which which comes out every two weeks uh, via newsletter. So I want to encourage everyone who's an AOPA member to go ahead and subscribe to the new biweekly AOPA Travel Pilot publication. And, you know, it's going to um, give folks ideas and motivation to go places. But the cool thing are, is going to be the how-tos and what not to do and the travel discounts that we could use. And who, who wouldn't want to save money with travel discounts?
0: Yeah, seriously. Absolutely. And so that Travel Pilot is part of a larger series of things that we're doing at AOPA, um, including a new tool online. So if you go to AOPA.org and look at the top for travel, you'll see it's um, really neat. The idea is... You know, there's, uh, well, orbits and TripAdvisor and all these other places. But, of course, they, they're they meant to serve places that you're already going. So it's like you know that uh, you want to go to the beach, and so you decide to go to Florida, and now you're looking for a hotel in Florida. And this flips it around a little bit. Um, this new tool that we've developed, it's the idea is you're like, hey, I want to go fly somewhere this weekend. I like to fish. Where can I go?
1: Yeah, where can I go? I want to do this. I want to fish. I want, or I want to take my family. Or hey, I want to do roller coasters.
0: Yep. So the idea is, you go in there, search it out, and uh, you start getting recommendations. And um, part of what is going to be contained in those recommendations are uh, stories, stories generated that will be on TravelPilot, but then um, also that uh, that come through ePilot. And uh, generated by Krista Worthy.
1: That's right. Krista is a, a great writer and also an airplane pilot, and also she travels with her family. So she's going to have some great tips and good resources for everyone to use. And she's going to start it off by telling us a little bit more about it as we kick off Travel Pilot.
2: husband's gotten his pilot's license actually before his driver's license but then he had let it lapse so when he found out I was interested in flying with him he he got current again and we started renting 172s and at the time he had two kids and I had one from previous marriages so we started uh, including them and and they were very young about uh, three or four years old and about five or six years old and that was we had a kind of unique situation because we had the kids half the time, and we weren't really working. My husband was getting royalties from some things that he had invented, so we were very fortunate to have a lot of free time. So when the kids were not with us, we would travel without them, and then the other half of the time when they were with us, we would you know, usual be at home and take them to school and whatnot, and then on the weekends or during vacations, we would fly with the kids. Oh, cool. So we got in a lot of traveling over almost a 20-year period, and we kind of graduated from the 172s to joining a flying club with the 182. And I recall we took a trip from Santa Monica to Las Vegas and then Zion and stopped in Bryce Canyon for a day and Lake Powell rented a powerboat and Arches National Park and from there down to Flagstaff and some of the parks down there and then back. And that's the kind of thing that if you were to do it in a car, the distances are so large that, it would take you maybe at least a week or two, and the kids would be very bored. But yeah. <laughs> with the aircraft, of course, it was easy with fairly short hops. I, d- I didn't have my pilot certificate at that time, and we had a near-miss on the way from Arches to Flagstaff. I was at, I think, 10,500. I used to fly a lot from the right seat, and I was always trying to learn everything there was, and everything was... Sort of hazy and over the desert, you know, droning on in August. And all of a sudden, this beige King Air appeared in the windscreen directly in front of us. And I remember turning to the right, and he unfortunately turned to the left. So at that point, this all happened in the flash. And I just basically stomped the left rudder and aileron, and we flashed by each other. I remember there were two professional pilots with their stripes, and I could literally see the whites of their eyes. So that was the last time that I flew without VFR flight following, or at least requesting it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and
2: then also realized how you have to be careful if you're going directly north or south. Uh, if you, you might be at the right altitude, but somebody else, maybe their DG is slightly off, and they might be at the same altitude. So yeah. uh, even though we were out in the middle of nowhere, there there we were. Yeah, that's a But good from point. there we bought a 210, and... We got the 210 so that all three kids could be in the plane at once. And our first trip was from L.A. to Northern California to get a new panel put in, the beautiful Rosewood. And then we flew to Ogden, Utah and across Nebraska. I wanted to stand in a cornfield, so we landed in McCook, got out, because I saw there were cornfields next to the airport, walked into the cornfield. That was really kind of cool. Borrowed the courtesy Mm -hmm. car, went to Indianapolis and Baltimore and Washington, D.C., down to Charlotte and then uh, down to Disney World, which was also another great thing with GA because Hurricane Danny was just clearing out. It had been sort of stuck over Florida for quite a while and people had bailed out of their vacations. But we could see that it was cleared out, so we got there and Disney World was almost empty and had a couple of really fun days there. And visited family in Alabama, New Orleans, to New Mexico and all the way back. So pretty much flew a giant circle around the continental US and the plane just was great because it's fast and it, it could carry such a huge load and uh, very stable aircraft and so we just loved it.
0: That's great and so um, so is that sort of what prompted you to think more about flying by airplane travel by airplane and and uh, all the great places you could go or was it kind of a job that got you into that or where did you start to specialize in this a little bit?
2: You know, we just loved traveling, and especially, I would say, the West, the the big spaces of the West around Utah. We used to have a, a share in a houseboat down Lake Powell, and so we would fly to Bullfrog Basin, and they would just pick us up there, and we'd spend a week on the lake hiking up the side canyons, and that's a trip that was three, three to three and a half hours in the aircraft. At that time, we were using it mostly so that we could travel, and it would be easy, and I would say that... We we also flew to Calgary, and that was one of the most beautiful trips I've ever taken. The, the Canadian Rockies and all the beautiful turquoise lakes. We we did that by driving, all the wildlife and hiking. But then we overflew everything when we had finished our trip, so we were able to see it all from the air. And there's it's also a lot of the things I like about GA is there's a lot of serendipity involved. So we had an extra day because we left an extra day in case of bad weather and we asked, well, where should we land somewhere in Canada because we didn't really feel like going home yet. And we discovered Nelson, British Columbia there, which is a really nice destination. And then on our way home, we hit some thunderstorms and decided to land and spend an extra day rather than fight fight that. And uh, we, we landed at this Fall River mill and there was no one there. So we were sort of standing around trying to figure out what to do. When a guy drove up, and he had just forgotten something in his hangar and he saw us standing there and said, oh, you guys look stuck. So he threw us the keys to his other car that was sitting in the hangar and said, ah, just take my car and, and, uh, there's a hotel down the road and you can stay there overnight. And then when you get back tomorrow, just, just, uh, slipped the keys back underneath my hangar door. So, and it was a brand new Cadillac, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that happens when you travel with GA, it's, it makes it a lot of fun and, and, uh. You get a lot of little extras, bonuses that you don't get with the airlines.
0: A lot of people these days, they keep track of the number of states they've flown in. Did you guys do that at the time?
2: I think I have flown to 31 states and visited 44. Oh, wow. And so it's quite a few.
0: Yeah. So what's been left unturned so far? Where do you still want to go?
2: Well, uh, in 2001, we, in fact, those in pilot getaways. I, I read about that Idaho had backcountry airstrips, which I had never heard about that. And so I purchased uh, Galen Hanselman's Fly Idaho book and just couldn't believe all these places, about 100 different places to go in Idaho. So I said, oh, we, we've got to do this. So we did, started doing that, and then that's kind of part of why we ended up moving here to Idaho. However, after we moved up here, we sold our plane to start a new business. So we currently do not have a plane, although we have a lot of friends up here with planes with the Idaho Aviation Association. <clears throat> and... Uh, that's how I'm involved with helping to publicize the airstrips that are up here and IA works to keep them open and, and safe and all of that I, I'd say that as far as my flying goals probably mostly exploring some more of Idaho strips we'd like to get a, a 182 we don't need the space and the 210 gear is a little fragile for some of the backcountry strips I think Yeah. but we're also looking now at doing some more international travel. My husband's going to start doing some business in South and Central America. So I think I'd like to visit uh, Patagonia and so forth. And I know you can technically fly down there, GA, but it might be easier to take the airlines for that. But I'm really, what I've been enjoying now is doing the stories for AOPA is kind of, I get to relive my vacations and that's, really enjoyable go through pictures a lot of the time my photos were on film so i i use other photos but still going through the memories and and so forth it makes it a lot of fun and then i also uh learn a lot of of new things so new things that places that i'd like to go and also just more facts about where i was things that i missed and I, oh i gotta go back and see that hmm. you know
0: yeah absolutely so um Tell me about some of your favorites. I mean, if somebody especially I think it's hard for new pilots, uh, especially, you know, they they spend all their time around the local airport, maybe just doing their cross countries and they don't have a good sense for what's out there or maybe even how to get to it. So, for those folks, it's like what are what are some places you feel like you've you've just got to see, you just have to visit.
2: You know, it, it depends on what kind of terrain you like, but of course, I'm just really partial to what's called the Colorado Plateau, which is southwestern Colorado and and portions of New Mexico, and especially Utah, and then northern Arizona. First of all, for for flight seeing, it's incredible. Flying over the Grand Canyon, which you can do that legally in, in certain corridors, that's really an unforgettable experience. And then Monument Valley, you can fly around those buttes, which are incredible to see. And then the whole area of Canyonlands National Park and the Colorado River, all the geological formations that are there. And there are a lot of backcountry airstrips in in Utah, too. And you can get information about those from some of, in fact, it's the same author, uh, Galen Hanselman did a story, did a book called Fly Utah. And you can explore. There are places where you can see ancient rock art and, and Indian ruins, and you can go rafting on the Colorado River These are really wonderful experiences. So I really love the Colorado Plateau, and then I also really love the Idaho backcountry. But in addition to that, other mountain ranges like the Teton Mountains uh, on both sides, there's there's so many interesting places to see on the Idaho side, and it's a little less expensive than the Wyoming side. So I, I love that. And I'm just working right now, almost finished. Up on a story about Snohomish County, which is north of Seattle, and Teen Field, which is about 20 miles uh, north of SeaTac. And there's so much aviation going on at that airport. You can take a tour of the Boeing factory, and then there's three other facilities there where they have some of the most incredible collections of warbirds that I've ever seen. And what's really interesting about those places is that you can talk to some of the volunteers who are working on restoring the planes. And the last time I was up at, at one of them, it was in Arlington. It's now moved to Painfield, uh, And a, a World War II veteran gave us a tour of the facility. And he was really knowledgeable, but he was also awarded the Silver Star for Valor during World War II. And just speaking with this guy was, uh, you know, really added to the experience. I'll, I'll really never forget that. Yeah. And there's also a, um, a little tiny place near Tombstone, Arizona, called Benson, where there's a cavern a living cavern there that was discovered actually not very long ago and you can just land there and the fellow at the FBO has a really wonderful uh 50s vintage courtesy car and go see the caverns and um then continue on with your trip if you're going you know somewhere around southern Arizona that's where that is.
0: And so what about east? I mean it's uh, you said that you're um a lot of your flying was out west, but you you guys have made some treks through the east and so what about like east in the Mississippi? Oh yes.
2: Yes, we did. Uh my husband's family is comes from Alabama, so we used to fly out there uh frequently to go and visit them. So of course, Florida, I really like Everglades City because it's just this wonderful little airport and you can rent a kayak and and just go kayaking in the, in the Everglades and go camping there. Uh, It's beautiful, and I also like Alexandria. I just did a story on Alexandria. We went to D.C. many years ago and rented a car. It's a little bit difficult to get around D.C. and find parking and just deal with all the traffic and crowds and everything, but if you go to Alexandria instead, then you can just take a water taxi and access the National Monuments that way, and it's Really beautiful, especially right now. As a matter of fact, because the cherry blossoms yeah. are getting ready to bloom, yeah, so true. it's it's really nice. Another thing is uh, Maine is incredibly beautiful, the the Maine coast, and uh, I got a seaplane rating in Alaska. Now I have not, like so many people who get their seaplane rating, I haven't had a chance to use it, but I would love to take a seaplane up to Moosehead Lake and around the coast of Maine. But I did get my seaplane rating in Alaska, and that was also some of the most beautiful flying that I've ever done, yeah. because uh, it was we were in a Super Cub, so you can see the same out of both sides, and it was also a mountain flying course, because we would fly in and out of all these little uh, canyons, and each one, the winds were different, each one had a different lake, different color in the lake, and, and it was incredibly beautiful.
0: So a favorite, um, do you have a favorite airport from all these travels Um, and anyone in particular that you can remember?
2: Well, uh, Nelson, British Columbia is a a beautiful airport. It's, this is uh, not far north of Spokane and we actually, there was a forest fire. So it, as we were flying against the sun, it was difficult to see. We had to kind of spiral down, but the airport is there right along the beautiful river and it's very picturesque. That's that's a favorite. Uh, Telluride is a beautiful airport, also in the Rockies.
0: And so, uh, you've done some international flying. I, I think some folks are they're a little intimidated by it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's always a little bit of paperwork to do, and um, some phone calls to make and that sort of thing. What do you say to folks? I mean, other than obviously just go do it and it's worth it. You know, if you lived in, uh, I don't know, in the Pacific Northwest, like would you jump over for the day? Or it's like, eh, really, you should stay for a few days to make it worth it. Or um, what what do you think?
2: You can jump over for the day. Uh, Yes, we we visited Victoria, British Columbia from Seattle area and flew into Vancouver and then over to Victoria. And that was very easy going back and forth. Hmm. And then uh, another time we did that with our kids. Uh, And and another time, like I said, we went to Calgary and, and another time to Nelson. The time Back then, we were based in Los Angeles. So the one thing I would recommend, if you're coming from farther away, is plan on arriving short of the border and then spend the night close to the border. Because that way, you'll get up in the morning, you'll be fresh, you won't be tired. And when you give customs your ETA, you can be very accurate. Of course, if you tell them that you're going to be there at such and such a time and you're coming from far away. You know, the winds could be different or you could get delayed for some other reason. So that just takes a lot of the stress off. Mm. And we have always found the Canadians to be incredibly friendly with customs. Uh, you just tell them when you're going to be there and they, they just come out and say hello and then they, they move you on. One time the tower just told us to that that was it. You stay in your plane and then and they said, okay, you're good and we just got out. When we came back on the U.S. side, I remember... <laughs> One time we had our kids with us, and the customs officials had once again you sit in your plane and then they have you come out they immediately separated the kids from us Oh, wow and the the kids were about 30, 30 feet away, and they were questioning them and that was fine and they they asked us a few questions and then when they then they left so when we came they came back, we asked, so what did they ask you and one of our kids said they wanted to know where Dad hid the Cuban cigars. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: so I said, I said, well, what did you tell him? He said, oh, he smoked them all. Of course, we don't smoke, anyways. We didn't have any cigars, but I thought that was pretty funny. So, uh, I suppose that would be one thing to prepare for. You know, your your kids, your kids are going to tell where the stuff is. But yeah, but really, I mean, they were very nice. Uh, so we've never had any problems whatsoever with with customs.
0: Yeah, that's funny. We. Um... We flew back from Cuba a couple of years ago, and I we cleared in Key West. And what you would think would be lots of conversations about cigars and other kind of stuff was actually one of the nicest crossings I've ever had. It was uh, they were very pleasant and professional and uh-huh. fast and everything else. So it, I feel like you never know what you're going to get with customs. It's always a bit of a bit of a roll of the dice. Right. Now, tell us a little about the stories. You've been doing um, regular travel pieces, and you mentioned them uh, today a couple of times, uh, for the website. So tell me um, tell me kind of what you're doing and, and what the plans are for you.
2: Well, uh, basically, I sat down, and I have a list. <laughs> I must have about 500 places that I wanted to write about, literally. And so at two or three a week, it's going to take a while. But it's just... I can't explain it, but I, I have so much fun telling people about things to do, and I have a love of looking at maps and sectionals, and the more I look at them, the more I think, oh, how about this one, and what, is, what have they got there, and and I start researching it, and then I find out this and that. So, basically, I I want people to think of their airplane as a magic carpet to take them somewhere, there there are a lot of times I've, I have talked with people who are married, for example, and maybe the spouse resents the aircraft because airplanes are not cheap, although they don't necessarily have to cost as much as some people think. But the reason they get resentful is because their spouse only uses it to fly to the same hamburger joint every time. Yeah. And after a while, you've had enough of that. But once they find out, oh, look, we can do this and we can do that and we can have fun, it's it doesn't have to be all about aviation once you land then they get become very enthusiastic and they realize how much faster it is to get somewhere and how much more efficient it is and writing these kind of articles has really has actually helped some people keep their airplanes mm. because their their spouse stopped complaining about it and and got enthusiastic about it and that's the way to keep aviation going and then hopefully the kids will will enjoy it too and
0: and grow up and want to be pilots as well. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell the story that um, my wife who um, gets a little nauseous when we fly, you know, she didn't really have a lot of motivation. And so I would say like, well, look, Hey, it's so much faster to get to, you know, like my mom's house. And that uh, for some Uh reason that didn't really sell her, but it's like, when I was like, Oh, Hey, it's, you know, so much faster. to get to the beach. It was like, then it kind of clicks, you know? And so I find if you make it less about, what you want to do and more about maybe what your non flying spouse wants to do than uh then it, it can you can have a lot more success that way.
2: Right. And and we tried to, you know, we we would take different kinds of trips for different situations. Even when we would go to the same location. If when we would go to Lake Powell and, and take the houseboat with just the two of us, we were interested in taking extremely long hikes up the side canyons from Lake Powell that were very strenuous. But when we would take the kids, they just wanted to play in the water and goof around. And the houseboat, it, it's great because you go to a different place and they just—they run around on the beach and make sandcastles and so forth. So you tailor even the same trip to your kids when they're there and then you can do it in a different way when they're not.
0: Yeah, yeah that's a great point. Well, Krista, thank you so much for the time. And, um, and thanks for, for all the great stories and all the, all the great ideas of places to go.
2: Yeah, we're going to be at Oshkosh this year, so hopefully we'll see you there.
0: David, um, she's obviously Krista. She's been everywhere. Uh, you know, it's like the old song, "She's been everywhere, man." But um, you know, we were talking about favorite airports. Tell me, tell me one of yours.
1: You know what? Just recently, Ian, uh, I have a new favorite. It's uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. It Used to be called the Downtown Airport, um, uh, Owensfield, but it is the home of a Curtis Wright hangar that was totally rebuilt. Uh, just recently. And there's an awesome, cool brew pub there called Hunter and Gatherer. So that's my new airport. But you got to be up on your crosswind techniques if you're going to land there.
0: Oh, man, that's uh, I think yours beats mine. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Mine. uh, One of my favorites has always been um, ever since I, I learned to fly in Florida, we used to hop over to Cedar Key.
1: Oh, man. Yeah.
0: Yeah. which Short little strip there off the coast. That was like less than an hour from Gainesville where I was at the time. And I just love to take folks there. It was a challenging little strip, and I love that you call in on the Unicom and uh, the lady in the taxi would answer and ask you if you wanted a ride, and I just thought it was really uh, kind of a neat down-home place, so very cool.
1: That, that's a good one. I'll, I'll throw one more at you before we go. Um, yeah. Cola Airport is really cool. I used to have some property down in Carabell, Florida, um, which is not too far from where you're mentioning at Cedar Key, but Appalachicola Airport, which is, a nice, which is a nice big place, is not too far from the city, and there's just a lot of neat stuff to do there, especially if you like to fish or do some family stuff and just kind of lay back, you know, get laid back and take it easy.
0: Awesome. All right, cool. Well, hey, I think that's all the time we have for this week. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen.
1: And I'm David, too. Let's, listen, you could uh, find us at AOPA.org slash Hangar Talk or on iTunes and also on the Sporty's
0: Takeoff app. All right, David, thanks. We'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian.
1: Hangar Talk from AOPA. Your freedom to fly.